Good morning to all and Happy New Year. It's good to see you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's good to see you here and awake after what no doubt was a late night for some of you. Does everybody do that anymore? Who, who, who doesn't stay up? Doesn't stay up till midnight. Okay, we have more, more than I thought, actually. Well, good. I don't feel like such a weenie then. I haven't done that for some years. So, you know, several of us turned 60 this past year. So with the new year coming, I have a prayer that might be appropriate. And the first one is a new year prayer for the elderly. You've heard of the serenity prayer? Well, this is the senility prayer. God grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway, the good fortune to run into the ones that I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. (laughs) Then there's this New Year's Day prayer for the rest of us. Dear Lord, so far this year I've done well. I haven't gossiped, I haven't lost my temper, I haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed, and from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Amen. (laughs) The very fact that people always seem to celebrate a new year speaks a lot about how mankind and even creation itself is made. I'm relatively certain that the revelers in Times Square each New Year's Eve aren't thinking in terms of what we're going to be looking at here together this morning. But all of us are made to recognize cycles and seasons of life, which has been happening since the beginning of time. It's because we serve the God of new. New is in. It always has been. Our life is full of fresh starts. Our life is full of new beginnings. Cycles and seasons which always include the new. Each day is new with the dawning at a new day at sunrise. Each week is new because of the pattern that God established with Sabbath rest. Each weather season is new, isn't it? And spring sees additional new beginnings with new buds on the trees, new green grass, new blooming flowers. You guys know me, I always think in sports analogies. Well, each sports season is new too. Perpetual losers like the Chicago Cubs have a phrase, wait until next year. Well, in 2016, that was this year. Next year came. It was the best year ever. But 2017 will still be a new year for Cubs fans. Each school year is new with a fresh start for all. Each Bible Bowl season is new, starting all over with earning your points towards the memory buddy and the wet and wild. We could no doubt come up with many more examples of fresh starts and new beginnings. That's because a newness, a fresh start, also brings fresh hope for better things to come. And in Christ, in Christ, there's always something better ahead, even if this life brings difficulty, pain, suffering, and loss. So what we experience in this life offers us just a glimpse of the newness of eternity with Christ for those who trust in him. The Word of God is full of the idea of the God of the new. Redemption makes us new, doesn't it? We read in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, 
great phrase. We've already heard it in this morning's service. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in, and this is the phrase, newness of life. Isn't that a great phrase? Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? Of course, all who are in Christ can look forward to the ultimate new in eternity. We read about in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Think of some of the most popular stories of our time, some of the popular stories of all time. Many of them have happy endings in new beginnings. How about the famous Scarlett O'Hara quote in Gone with the Wind? Right at the very end, she says, tomorrow is another day, right? In the Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol, we see Ebenezer Scrooge, He was a seemingly hopeless, miserable, greedy, and unloving man. But in the story, we learn that there's hope for redemption. There's hope for something new. That's why he asks the spirit of Christmas future if what he's been shown about his future means there's no hope. Then Scrooge asks the spirit if these things he's been shown about his future are sure to come or could they be changed? In other words, the question he had, could he be new? Could he be new again? Of course, in the story, we know Scrooge wakes up, it's Christmas morning, and everything about his life is new. Then there's the movie Groundhog Day, one of my favorites. The story of new beginnings every day, again and again and again and again. But the main character finally changes, doesn't he, as the movie goes on. He changes for the better, and then he has another new beginning as the movie ends. How about some of the Star Wars original movies? A New Hope, Return of the Jedi. Even the titles of some of our movies reflect our innate love of new beginnings. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, we see the return of the king, a new start for the humanity depicted in the story, and it ends with a new beginning. Then we think about some of the biblical stories that reflect these ideas as well. Think about Moses, for example. He goes from prince to a new beginning as a fugitive, to a new beginning as a shepherd, to a new beginning as a leader. All new beginnings for Moses. We think of Esther, orphan, fatherless, queen. New beginnings. We think of David, teen shepherd, then the king of Israel. We think of Paul, a persecutor of the church, to the one who brings the good news to the Gentiles. New beginnings. We see it in Scripture. We see it in the stories of our culture and of our time. God did new things in each one of these lives. This is a universal need that we all have, as well as something we can all resonate with. Newness, renewal, fresh starts, new beginnings. Why do you think stories like this are so popular? Why do they seem to stand the test of time? Why do you think that one of the most powerful words in advertising to this day is new? Why do you see that in ads? A lot. Stories of redemptions, of fresh starts, of new beginnings are popular because we can all relate to them at some level. God made us that way. And what's more, we all need it. We need it. We need fresh starts. We need new beginnings because all have sinned. All of us are sinners. Think of how bad we'd all be, how bad off we'd all be if we could never get out of that sin hole, if that's all we had to look forward to if we never in this life or before the next had a chance for a fresh start 
something good and new. If what we live in today would be the way it always is. Think of how bad that would be. Scripture is full of the word new and related words like renew. We read about new life. We read about new strength. We read about new joy, a new song, a new spirit, a new day, a new covenant, a new creation, and a new attitude. And the source of all new things is the Lord of the new, the God of the new. The maker of the new is the source of all good things. In the Old Testament, the primary word for new means new both in sense of recent or fresh, as in the opposite of old, but also in the sense of something that never existed previously. Now, in the New Testament, there's more of a distinction drawn between the two kinds of new. One Greek word for new is kainos, and kainos means new in terms of character or nature, not recent, but completely different, of a new kind, unprecedented, uncommon, or unheard of. This is the word in the New Testament that's used for new creation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It's the word that's used for the new self in Ephesians 4.24, the new song in Revelation 5.9, and the new heaven and earth in Revelation 21, verse 1. Now, the other Greek word for new that we see in the New Testament is naos, and it means new in respect of time, in other words, not old. Sometimes these two words are used of the same things, but there's a difference in understanding. For example, the new self in Ephesians 4.24 is kainos, but the new man in Colossians 3.10 is naos. And it stresses that the recently begun, still ongoing fact of the believer in Christ's new experience. In other words, they were having a new experience. But actually, we see both kinds of new if we were to read the whole verse in Colossians 3.10, where it says we put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we see new and new self, and then we see renewed in knowledge. Now, new self there is naos. Renewed is from the root of kainos, and it means to be renewed completely by God. It refers to the redemptive activity of God, corresponding to the creation of man, which by putting an end to man's existing corrupt state establishes a new beginning. So the new covenant in Hebrews 12:24 is new compared with the old Mosaic covenant, which is nearly 1,500 years old at that point. That's naos. But the new covenant, when described with the word kainos, means completely new in character, qualitatively different. The Hebrew for new or renew, as we mentioned a moment ago, seems to encompass both understandings of the word, depending on the context. There's one commentary on Lamentations 3.23, and we read this verse, which we all love, his mercies are new every morning. And this commentary says that this is almost a unique new meaning of new, meaning renewed. Just as God's creation is renewed and refreshed, so is his compassion and his loving kindness. So let's take a closer look for a moment at this Lamentations passage. I've preached about aspects of this passage in Lamentations chapter 3 several times through the years. And I've done so because it's a very rich passage, always insightful about the human condition, but more importantly, it's very insightful about God's character. The book of Lamentations is just that. You think of a lament. You lament something, you're kind of, oh, that's not so good, I'm lamenting, that's not a bad, that's not a good thing, right? 
This is lament of someone who has seen God's judgment and the results of that judgment. And Jeremiah is generally considered to be the author of of, uh, Lamentations. He understands that God's actions against Israel were not arbitrary. Blatant sin and rebellion were the root causes of the people's misery that he was recounting. Uh, He also understands that the proper response to judgment is what? Repentance. It's repentance. So the book begins with lament over the consequences of sin, and it ends with repentance. Here's the passage we're going to look at from Lamentations chapter 3, beginning with verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, this passage comes in the middle of the laments, as we noticed, and it stands as a hopeful contrast to what comes both before it and after it. The writer says that his soul is downcast. Anybody ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand. But then proceeds to remind himself of where his real hope lies. It's in the unfailing and totally faithful love and mercy and compassion of God. Verse 22 in this passage in one version says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Think about that. In other versions, it says the steadfast love of the Lord or the Lord's loving kindness never ceases. This means, you know what? We don't get what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve. It's a hint of the gospel here in the Old Testament, the good news that God is merciful and he has provided a path toward redemption for us in Christ. We deserve destruction and death. But what we receive from God's love for us is new life. The words great love here are translated in some other versions as mercies. And we see this word used 240 times in the Old Testament. It's also translated in other places as loving kindness, as steadfast love, as grace, as mercy, as faithfulness, goodness, and devotion. It's one of God's most central characteristics. And just one word to describe it is not adequate. These three qualities of God's interact to provide the full meaning here, okay? There's his strength, there's his steadfastness, and there's his love. Without all three, we don't, have, we don't even begin to come close to having a full understanding of this single phrase, which is rendered great love in the NIV and mercies in the King James, for example. Another interesting thing to note here is that depending on the version you're reading, both mercies and compassions are plural. Why is that? Well, in the NIV, great love is singular, but compassion is plural. It's been noted that what this means is God's very specific acts of redemption in fulfillment of his promises to his people. This describes God abounding in love. And we see this in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 where it says, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
And we see in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, it says of God, you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and again we see abounding in love. And in Psalm 103, verse 8, it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and once more we see abounding in love. In each of these three verses, we read God described as abounding in love. The idea here is multiple specific, memorable instances of God's loving action toward his people. Not just, it's not just a generic, squishy, gee, God loves his people, he loves all his creation and is all his living creatures, blah, blah, blah. Okay? It's very specific. Often, this abounding love and graciousness that we see depicted in Scripture is related to his covenant. And that means specifically that God's great love is toward his people. That doesn't mean he doesn't love other people, but these acts of redemption for his people. In the Old Testament, that means the people of Israel, and now it means for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ under the new covenant. So then we see in verse 23 of Lamentations chapter 3, his mercies never come to an end. Well, that's a different Hebrew word from what we just looked at, the one that translated in the NIV as great love. This word is from a root word meaning to have compassion or be merciful. Yet you know what? We're still on the same page here because the writer of Lamentations here is still commenting on the character and faithfulness of God. Because he loves us, his compassions never fail. The word for fail means to cease or stop. Though they don't stop. The full meaning of these words means God's compassions never finish. They're never spent up. They're never used completely. Some things can run completely dry. They cannot be new or fresh again ever. What this passage tells us about our great God is that this is one of those things that never runs out, that never runs dry. God's compassions, His mercy, His great love. It's a never-ending stream, a fresh flow from heaven that's always there and always new. When we reach verse 23, the writer of Lamentations here is just re-emphasizing what he has already written about God's character and about his love, about his mercy and about his compassion. They are new every morning. That means, as we noted earlier, they're better than just as good as new. They're renewed. They're refreshed. When we need something new, something that's of a completely different character or nature, that's what God gives us. He gives us that every morning. He gives us that day by day. He gives us that moment by moment. Scripture is clear that God renews his provision for us in all things daily when we need it. That way it's always new and fresh. And this applies to our physical or our spiritual provision, it also applies to forgiveness, to just about anything you can think of that you would need. When Hebrews 4.16, for example, tells us that when we approach the throne of God's grace, we can approach with confidence, we can receive mercy and find grace, it adds to help us in our time of need. The understanding of that phrase there is that it's timely that it's timely, it's when we need it. Not just if we need it, but when we need it. When we need it, not before, 
not after, but during, right when we need it. We cannot store up God's grace and forgiveness. And the good thing is, we don't need to, folks. We don't need to store up God's grace and forgiveness. God supplied each day for the people of Israel as they wandered in the desert. And we read about that in Exodus 16. And God tells the people to gather what they need. And verse 17 says the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Isn't that a great metaphor for grace that we try to store up and save for tomorrow, like we would store power in a battery. It's full of maggots, and it smells bad. We could say it's stinky day-old grace. Huh? God doesn't recharge our battery every day, folks, like we do with our cell phones. Everybody's got to recharge your cell phone battery pretty much every day. He gives us a fully charged, brand-new battery each day. What does this tell us about God's compassions being new every morning? We must remember at this point that in the overall context of this passage in Lamentations that we're looking at, this interjection was right in the middle of a lament about the consequences of the people's sin and God's judgment of that sin. So while other scripture makes it clear that his mercy and his compassion are new every morning in the context of provision, it's also just as clear that his mercy is also new every morning in terms of forgiveness. Just a few passages to illustrate this. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 2 and 3 first, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And a few verses later in verses 9 and 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 30, we read this. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law. When you turn to the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. And then we read in another passage in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Aren't these wonderful pictures of the newness of forgiveness from our great God? God is the God of the new. But it's important to note some key elements here of the passages from Deuteronomy we just read. Be sure to see these phrases in what I just read. When you and your children return to the Lord and obey him. And later it says, if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart. What are we talking about here? 
We're talking about the repentance that precedes the new things that God does in the Spirit. When Scripture talks of being new creatures, of being born again, it's always preceded first by God's work. God's always the initiator. And then at some point, it's followed by our turning, our renewal, our repentance. Even in the new things we looked at in the very beginning of this message, remember some of those things? Something has to end before something else can become new. We have to experience, for example, the dead of winter before we can have the newness of spring. We have the dead of night before the light of dawn of a new day. Even in sports, all but one team finishes the season with some kind of a loss, either in a playoff game or not making the playoffs at all before there can be a new season the next year. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Just as you can't use yesterday's grace for today's repentance, you can't use tomorrow's grace for today's sin. His grace is sufficient for each day. You can't store it up because our God is the God of new. This is how we must live our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 tells us that we are inwardly renewed day by day. Each day, day by day, we have to access, we have to appropriate for ourselves God's provision, His provision of compassion, His provision of mercy, His provision of grace for that day and for that day alone. Now this idea of new things, of fresh starts, of new beginnings applies on a larger scale too, clearly, as in months, new months, new years, like we're celebrating today, new decades, centuries, and even millennia. But it clearly also, and more importantly for us, applies day by day, morning by morning, where we live our lives of faith. When God does new things, what happens? We see from Scripture that often what happens is His people follow Him with renewed strength with renewed purpose. And as he rebuilds, as he restores, as he renews, he does this in such a way that it equips and enables us to follow him. Here's something important to remember. New things don't always look that great at the start. New construction, for example, often makes a major mess, doesn't it, before the newness totally takes shape. Anybody ever done some remodeling? You see that, right? Larry's raising his hand back there. Things don't look like what they should look like at the beginning. And so we can think of people that we know whose relationships with the Lord we admire, and we can see that they spend all this time in Scripture, we can see that they spend this time in prayer, and we can see the impact that their faith has on the way they live their lives, their attitudes, their actions, and we might think, how can I ever be like that? How can I ever even attain to that? We must remember this. New beginnings are just that. New. They're new beginnings. Okay? The first electric light was so dim that a candle was needed to see its socket. One of the first steamboats took 32 hours to chug its way from New York to Albany, a distance of 150 miles. Wilbur and Orville Wright's, no relation to Gordon, uh, first airplane flight, lasted only 12 seconds. The first automobiles traveled two to four miles per hour, and they often broke down. 
carriages that were being pulled by horses would pass them, and the passengers would shout, get a horse! That's because new beginnings are also fresh starts. When we belong to Christ, the old life is over. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God makes all things new. All he wants is our hearts and our willingness to allow him to build those new things in us. What's so encouraging and positive about this reality of new things, such as that first day of a new school year or the first day of a new sports season, is that it's a brand new beginning. Next September, Jim Grinnell's going to say, it's a new year for my Vikes. Right, Jim? Maybe not. <laughs> there are no blemishes on your record when the season begins, when the new school year begins, right? You're undefeated. Your grades are perfect. There are only opportunities ahead. It's a totally fresh start. But when God is our Father, every day can be like that. A new beginning. This is the way, folks, that we were meant to live in Christ. A new beginning. Waking up each day and saying or thinking, this is the day that the Lord has made. It's not the day the weather has made, regardless of how bad the weather is. It's not the day your physical condition has made. And I can look around this room and see many who suffer from many challenging things in their physical condition. It's not your finances that have made this day. It's not your broken relationships. It's not your boss. It's not your emotional heartache. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because it's new. Because it's new. And we serve the God of new. Yesterday's over. It can't be changed. Tomorrow's not here yet. So there's no point in trying to live tomorrow's challenges today. God has made a wonderful promise to us in Deuteronomy chapter three, 33, verse 25. Your strength will equal your days. Your strength will equal your days. In Christ, you will never have a day for which God will not provide matching strength because God makes all things new, including his grace, which is sufficient for you. If tomorrow's going to be a 100-pound day, then God's going to give you 100 pounds of strength. But if you try to worry about a new tomorrow with today's old strength, you'll sink. And it'll also stink. Now, if you will sincerely confess the sins of yesterday, the shortcomings of your life to the Lord, or if you will just yield to the Lord your weakness and your inability to handle today, you can start this new day, this new year, with no marks on your record. You can have a fresh start because you invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of that part of your life where you were weary or where you may have failed in the past or even yesterday. Just as God provided for his people in the desert their daily bread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. God taught his people to trust him day by day to meet their daily needs. Consider what this means for us. We never, we never 
have to live on yesterday's blessings or yesterday's provision or yesterday's grace. These things are new every morning. God's blessings are never early, but they're also never late. They are new every morning. Today's mercies are for today's burdens. Tomorrow's mercies will be for tomorrow's problems. Amen? Before we pray this morning, I'm sure there are some here today who need to consider those little things or those big things that you feel the need to make a fresh start on today, on this new day, the beginning of this new month, the beginning of this new week, the beginning of this new year. For some, it might be a sin that's plagued you and you've fallen down, but today's the day you need to get up because God makes all things new. For some, it may be that you've failed and failed again to make Jesus Lord of a specific area of your life. Today, you can find a fresh start. You can find a new beginning. For some, it may be as simple as feeling like a failure in your daily walk with God, having a consistent quiet time, being consistent in your prayer time, being consistent in reading God's Word. Today is the day, as we begin a new year, to let God make all things new in you, to make a fresh start, to have a new beginning. For others, and I think there's a lot of us here who are in this boat, it may be a weariness that just invades your daily life because of difficult circumstances that are just beyond your control. You want to be able to say, God's grace is new today for me, and it's sufficient for me. So whatever mercy, whatever compassion, whatever new thing you need from God today, remember this. He is the God of the new. He makes all things new. He is the God of fresh starts. He is the Lord of new beginnings. And you can begin this new day, this new year, experiencing the new daily, fresh grace and provision of our faithful God. As we pray, before we pray, I just feel like this message requires a response. And so we're just going to respond briefly here. If you need something new in you, I want you to either stand or raise your hand, and we're going to pray together. We're going to pray together. If you need something new in any of those categories, let's pray together that the God of new will continue to show himself faithful in our lives. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are indeed the God of new, the Lord of fresh starts, the Lord of new beginnings. And Lord, your word said you make all things new. So Father, for each person standing here or raising their hand today, I want to ask for your provision, Lord, your new grace, your new mercy, your new compassion. Heavenly Father, there's so many different situations represented here by the people who are standing or raising their hand. But we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would show yourself faithful. Lord, your word said, even in Lamentations, that you are faithful and that you make all things new and your provision is fresh and new every morning. So help us to trust in that, Father. Help us to trust in that today. Do new things in our hearts, Father God, to help us to trust in you 
and to rely on you and to look to you so that we can all say together that this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will be glad in it because you are Lord, because you are God of the new and because you are faithful to provide everything we need, not just when we need it, but at that very, very moment, Father, at the very moment that we need things, you are faithful to be there and provide for us. We thank you for these great truths, Lord. Help us in this new year to remember these things and to walk them out in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.